Hello, hello, everyone. Unfortunately, we had to record this episode in two separate times, so there might be some slight issues with the audio. We just wanted to apologize for that in advance, and we hope that doesn't stop you from enjoying the episode. Welcome to another episode of Corkout History, where we drink Portuguese wine and we talk about Portuguese history, mostly the wine. My name is Andre, and I'm Inês. Welcome to Corkout History. Hello, hello, hello. Hi there, everyone. We are back, and today we're going to be talking about Juliana Dias da Costa. Yes, we will. And. Uh, what are we drinking today, Andre? Which wine will keep us company? We're gonna be drinking Portal de Sombras. That's a wine from Alentejo, but you should probably be the one talking about it because it's sponsored by your mother. <laughs> it is sponsored by my mother. So basically, my mom brought it last time that she came to visit me. So this is not an exportation wine. And uh, it came directly from a Portuguese supermarket, I imagine. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, wine from Alentejo. Alentejo, for those who don't know, it's one of the regions south of Portugal and it does excellent wine. Okay, so the bottle is open and we're ready to start another episode. Cheers! Chin chin! The cork is out and we can dive straight into the story of Juliana. In the 17th and 18th centuries, um, so Portugal had these colonial holdings in India, uh, and that was then called Estado da India, which can be translated to the Indian state. And at that period is when things started to falter, struggling to compete with the new raising powers of the English, the French and the Dutch that were also in the area. The 18th century uh, was also a difficult time for the Indian Mughal Empire that was precarious, precariously balanced and uh, at that period it was like flirting with the ever-present possibility of collapse because of all the political changes and all the trading aspirations of the West in that region. So this is a setting for our badass lady Juliana Dias da Costa. Uh, a Portuguese woman who held enormous powers and influence in the court of the Mughal king Bahadur Shah I and his descendants as well. When it comes to sources, one of our most significant ones is actually contemporary to Lady Juliana and comes in the form of a Jesuit Italian priest called Ippolito Desideri. For him, Lady Juliana was clearly a beacon of Christianity in the middle of the Indian infidels. Pretty cool that we have a contemporary source to her, which is not very usual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like we've said before as well, usually we are talking about sources that are written maybe 200 years after the fact uh, or have no contact with the person directly. So this is actually really, really cool to have someone who uh, met her in person and was in this one of our sources. And he is pretty ecstatic about her, so there is absolutely no end to his admiration for her piety, her integrity, values, you name it. Whatever it is, this man is absolutely smitten with her. I'd say the priest... <laughs> I'd say the priest had a bit of a crush, but then again, he's clearly not the only one. All our sources seem in agreement that Lady Juliana was amazing. The pinnacle of integrity and political prowess, 
which in my mind they hardly go together but then again who am i to argue with these long gone elders so it's great that we have contemporary sources but of course that these reports of juliana are mostly informed by the interests that each person writing about her have so the, they result in like a very diverse cocktail a very biased ver visions of juliana juliana is seen by the jesuit ma missionary as a proxy for their spiritual mission in india or juliana is seen by the portuguese sources as a good ambassador and political ally but by all she is seen as a link between europe and india and that was invaluable for both the mughal courts and the western powers so that they could move across these different worlds and create strategic alliances. Sometimes the way that our sources describe Juliana actually tells us more about the sources than about Juliana herself. And this happens, you know, throughout history with all the different cases and characters. But yeah, each of them gives us a, as you said, like a biased version. And from there we can sum up and make our assumptions and get to hopefully a clear picture of at least the clearest uh, yeah, we can get. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. Of who this woman was. Do we have anything that she has written? Do we have any documents that she signed? Is there anything that we have from her? Unfortunately, the only thing in Juliana's own hand is a very brief letter that she wrote to the Portuguese, the Portuguese king at the time, Don Juan V. Um, it, oh. Yeah, you do like him, don't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this doesn't tell us much about her at all other than stuff like for instance she's writing directly to the to the king for instance but um yeah it doesn't it's not a, an extensive writing and it doesn't give us uh, any uh, much more details Okay, so just for those of you who don't know, Don Juan V is a Portuguese king of the 18th century, and it's actually what I studied in my master's, so I'm really fond of this period, and there's a lot to explore, but I'm sure we'll get there at some other point. We will, we will. So sadly, for someone so important, there's actually very little concrete information about her origins or how she got to the Mughal court. We don't know her date and place of birth. We don't know how she gets, she got to the Indian um, state. But that doesn't mean people haven't tried to figure it out and write things about it. Uh, and so we have very different versions. Some sources say that it was the her parents that came to the Mughal court as prisoners of a raid. Others uh, say that they seek refuge with the Mughals fleeing from the Dutch. Others that it wasn't her parents, but it was actually her husband. And there's even the story of her and her sister being noble ladies on the run, kidnapped by pirates. And then she ends up pulling the strings of the Mughal court while her sister marries the king. So there's a lot, um, but the bottom line is uh, when everyone is saying something different, the only thing we can actually say is that we don't know. Yeah, and so what do we know? From these differing but not contrasting sources, we know enough to be sure that this lady was awesome. She was either a doctor or someone with health and wellness responsibilities in the court. 
Here is that she got this knowledge from a possible father or husband who was in the picture at some point. In that past we don't know anything about. She seemed to have been responsible for the health and well-being of the women in the king's harem. From some of the viceroy's co correspondence, we can see how she excelled in her healing duties, having the chief surgeon at court waiting on her, for her touch was believed to be miraculous. And she was even chose to look after the queen's mother's health. We also know that she was entrusted with the education of several royal children and that she was privy to a great many deal of family secrets. According to some Dutch sources, which we also have for Juliana, her influence at court seems to have started around the time that the then Prince Alan was imprisoned for rebelling against his father. This is the future King Bahadur, whom we have mentioned before, but for some reason they go around changing people's names and making this confusing for us. It's likely related to the fact that the sources are written by foreigners, most of them, and there's probably some confusion going around there regarding the names. Yeah, it could be that, and often as well, like when, when a king takes power, he often changes the name as well to just to become more in line with the, the role and stuff like that. So he used to be called like Prince Elam, and then once he becomes king, he becomes the King Bahadur, the yeah. one that we mentioned before. Yeah, so when Bahadur was still a prince, then he was held captive for nine years, and it seems that Lady Juliana was then all loyalty and service at his side. And when the prince was finally released by his father, Juliana went up in the hierarchy, being given a title of lady, and was given a good allowance, servants, prestige, and power. So, on her way up. Yeah, she was on her way up. So, when the old king died, Shit hit the fan like it often does at times like this. Bahadur was the eldest son and therefore he was heir to the throne. But the other brothers took arms against him and a full-blown war ensued. Juliana went to the prince and then they proceeded to go and meet with the prince's younger brother who had proclaimed himself emperor. I mean, why not? Bahadur had proposed to his brother that they should follow the will of their deceased father, who had wanted to divide the empire between all the brothers. However, his younger brother didn't think this was such a good idea. I mean, he could have the whole thing for himself, why would he share, right, brothers? So, uh, this war, this campaign, would be the making of Juliana. This is how Juliana truly comes to power, and how she becomes so essential to everything in the court. So, how did this actually happen? So, there was a surprise attack by some of his brothers to Bahadur and Juliana's camp. Um, and even though Bahadur's forces were much larger, they were thrown in such a disarray with this surprise attack that it became a huge loss for Bahadur. Seeing this situation, Bahadur was actually greatly discouraged and he the and the and he ordered a retreat to Delhi to try and salvage the situation. And this is like this is the moment where Juliana really plays a role because she was with him and she was sitting next to him on an elephant and convinced him to actually do the opposite, convinced him to not retreat but attack. Persuaded by Lady Juliana, the king ordered that the troops would go back straight back into battle and uh, what they did was an unpredicted attack on the brothers of Baha bro the brothers of Bahadur's yeah. forces the attacking brothers 
Yeah. Yes. And while the drums of their opponents were still celebrating their victory, they were uh, attacked by surprise by Bahadur forces. And this time things turned around. And of course, he was victorious. And the other brother was dead, shot in the head. And this was all thanks to Lady Juliana, who was... Yay! I still can't get over the fact that they're um, they're riding on elephants and riding on elephants to war. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's pretty cool. It makes a whole a uh, whole different thing, doesn't, doesn't it? it? <laughs> yeah. And and there's actually a big story of Portugal and elephants. So I think we we should dedicate uh, an episode just to elephants at some point. All right. But yeah. All right. All right. Well, stick with us to find out all about the elephants. <laughs> <laughs> now Desideri, this Jesuit priest that, that we've talked about who may or may not have had a bit of a crush as, as Inez was saying before has even gone as far as to say that even though Bahadur was the king the government was instead in her capable hands and that she managed it skillfully and with full loyalty to the king Yes, and according to Bruy's report Bruy's being another of our sources um so his report on her daily life, uh, Lady Juliana moved seamlessly across different planes, from the realm of pious solitude and worship to the space of women's roles, looking after the royal family and finally taking on her political role next to the king in the administration of the empire. And of course that all these um, things that you mentioned, and as you said before, they're also put there to make like a portrait, a portrait of a lady. And that's also, that's not only doing the admin stuff, but that also has this other pious uh, side to her. And that has to match that kind of criteria for a woman of her time, although she doesn't. So it's a bit of a conundrum there. (laughs) (laughs) But Juliana is like something else, right? Yeah, exactly. She is. And it's obvious that religion is a central part of her personality for instance one uh, the main thing that she used to convince the king to not retreat but attack when when then Bahadur became became the winner and he was then uh, king because of that one of her main points was well no god is willing so go ahead and take it like throughout all this and throughout like her stay there she kept on being Christian, a, a yes, Catholic, like always, that that was never. Thing. Yeah, that's a major thing in her in her personality and character. She was a Christian, so she was a Christian in the Mughal Empire, and that was central to this. And uh, according to Desideri, the priest, the Jesuit priest, in his deathbed, the king converted to Christianism and was baptized. Obviously, we don't have, other than his saying, we don't have any other sources on this, and it's as likely has not that it happened. Uh, it's probably a little bit of wishful thinking on the priest's part, but it was central to how important she made the Christian religion in the Mughal Empire. It's, it's, it's like, astonishing. It is, it is. She, she, was, she was crowning the emperor, and she's a Christian. This was mind-blowing. Uh, for them then and for us now. <laughs> okay, so from the Portuguese records, it was clear that Juliana was regarded as a strategically placed agent of extreme importance for all deals in India, often referred to as a procurator or, in other words, an official lobbyist for the Portuguese state in the Mughal court. The Portuguese king, Don Juan V, 
wrote to her directly and sent her presents as thanks for her services. Now, Don Juan V was a little bit the Portuguese version of the Louis XIV in France. He was an absolute monarch at a time when Portugal was swimming in Brazilian gold, baby. He rich, baby, full of bling. You just know the presents from this man are not a basket of fruit. Inez is currently really trying me here. <laughs> I'm really trying not to go into this and uh, yes, but uh, yeah, but that's not a lie. Also, the Portuguese gifted lands to Juliana and went out of their way to make the men in her family members of the Order of Christ, which was kind of a big deal, for this was reserved for elites and usually only attributed to men of pure blood, which is not clear was the case here. Giving strong Harry Potter vibes here, right? Basically, being of pure blood meant you had no Muslim or Jewish ancestors anywhere. Yeah, one thing I'm really curious that I was going to ask you, like, because we were talking about her descendants and her family members, but do we know who she was with? Which, was she with the king of the Mughal Empire, as in with, with? No, 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 she wasn't, she wasn't. Uh, uh, the sources are all quite clear that it didn't... It's not meant to have been any further relationship or any sexual relationship with the king there. She's meant to have... A husband, although it's not clear if she arrived with the husband or if the husband. Ah, oh, right. Know, yeah. Yeah, we, we mentioned him before, right? The possibility of a husband, but exactly. we don't know if the husband came with her from Portugal or if she married there. Yeah. We don't know. Exactly, we okay. don't know. Uh, there was definitely, a, I would say, there was definitely a husband because there re there are definitely children mm -hmm. and there's no way that for instance the church and the priests would look at her in such a positive light if she was having children out of wedlock sure yeah and it uh, yeah. yeah so even though we don't have many details on the husband it, it seems to be clear that there was one and that her children came through <laughs> from the husband wow all right uh, uh, throughout all her um, roles, Juliana used the power she acquired at court to help both the Portuguese interests, but also to protect Christians in the Mughal Empire, as we were talking earlier about like this relationship of her being a Christian in that context, and to improve the situation of these Christians. She was instrumental in other political and commercial relations with the West, most importantly with the Dutch, from which we get part of the sources that talk about this extraordinary woman. After the king's death, Juliana wanted to retire, but was denied the chance by Bahadur's son, who deemed her way too important to retire. After his death, however, all these kings died suspiciously quickly. Juliana went through a bit of a drama, because the next ones in power were not big fans of having an all-powerful Portuguese lady calling the shots. This did not last long, though, and Juliana had her full favor and honors restored after sorting the new king out with some of her healing brilliance after all others had failed miserably. There's no doubt of her being back in favor after she crowns the new emperor as guardian of the crown in a very pompous and fancy ceremony. And after that short interregnum, Juliana doesn't seem to have ever had her position and influence threatened at court again. She apparently died at the age of 75 and uh, was buried at a Christian cemetery, although sadly we do not have a grave for her today. 
To some sources, Juliana has come to embody a notion of a past of cultural fluidity, when there was religious freedom and ethnical acceptance, when different backgrounds, nationalities and languages all mixed somewhat peacefully. A notion that would soon be lost with colonial rule, when the spaces would be much more demarcated and segregated. And here we are. This sums up uh, Juliana Dias da Costa life. It was, by all accounts, an amazing life. Uh, I think we can agree on that. Yeah, we definitely agree on that. It's something quite extraordinary, more than... Here was this lady in the 18th century in India, where all those powers were starting to collapse. She really navigated these times with, like, unbelievable... Is almost, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and she, 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 she gets to places that are so out of, like, reach for any woman yeah. back then. Yeah, and it's okay. I, I, after this, this overview, you do get the feeling that there's a lot that we don't know about her, right. as usual. But uh, at the same time, there's quite a few records, and there was this effort of creating an image about her, and. Um, that's 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 really interesting. So it's a shame that we don't have the the king's reply to her letter. Um, the letter that's the only thing that we have written by Juliana. But it's a shame we don't have his reply. And I'm particularly really, really sad about that because it's always nice to read stuff from Juan uh, V. But um, still, what we have gives us like this extraordinary life, and I'm sure that's why we chose her, right? Uh, yeah, I picked her, well, when trying to decide uh, which women we would talk about in this season, I decided to go with Juliana, because I felt like not only is it an extraordinary life in the sense that um, it really steps out of, breaks every rule and steps out of every expectation that we have of women in the 18th century, but it also allows us to have a peek into the state of India and it would allow us to talk a little bit about the relationship there between Portugal and India and I find it as well particularly interesting to look at it in this period when things are starting are on the verge of collapse and are starting to come down from that idea of Portugal and the discoveries that at least in our mind in the Portuguese identity is so important. And yeah, and to see all of this through the eyes of Juliana, who was uh, a woman, was a Christian, was a diplomat in the Mughal court, I found it extraordinarily interesting. Okay, and I think this has brought us to the end of our episode. I hope you enjoyed coming with us in this little trip to India. If, if this story rings any bells and if there's any personality that you think we should look into that maybe ties to Portugal in some way or to any other... Yeah, or any, uh, any other things we talked about uh, here today. Obviously, India will be in common between the Portugal Empire and later on the British one with colonial rule so if there's anything that uh, comes to your mind and that you would like to mention feel free to just drop us a message on uh, any of our social media and uh, we'll see you in two weeks for the next episode and this is where we'll stop for now stick with us and join us in the next episode of Corkout History in two weeks until then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Corkout History Pod and on Twitter at Corkout History where you can reach out to us let us know your thoughts and discover more about the upcoming episodes don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us 
Your comments are crucial so that more people can find us. Bye! Bye.